I was shocked to learn how many people still think podcasts cost money. Yeah. The level of understanding of podcasts is still, there's a, it's wide open. And so when you talk about a huge opportunity, I'm right there with you just because there's got to be a way for audio content and the myriad ways that people use audio content to go viral, especially given the accelerated algorithms of, say, a TikTok. Yes. You can just join TikTok and get a big following right away, just the way that they've organized their algorithms, which is why I'm shocked you didn't call this TikTok. see your your video on the we funder page and i think that explains it very well in terms of relating what you're trying to do with audio to what's already happened with video and and images and articles and all that stuff and create an opportunity for audio content to go viral yeah you got the howard stern voice locked in well yeah but then i'll i'll ask for the hair later on and uh awesome no this is great this is great i'm excited for it it was great that you reached out i was like this is pretty cool you know this this is dope it's a small niche there's not a lot out there you're fresh out of school right when did you get out of rutgers 2020 so about two years out graduated in a pandemic so that must have been fantastic it was it was was quite a we didn't really have a graduation it was like a virtual walk-in ceremony so so did the class of 21 or 22 invite you guys to walk no, we never, Rutgers never walked. There were some other schools that like Harvard and Princeton, they walked in 2022. So like two years later. Right. Um, but I never walked. I personally hate the concept of walking. Like I hate when my sister did it. I just hated the whole situation. So I was actually happy. I didn't get to walk. But my mom, she was upset about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not for us, you know, it's, not it's, for, us, it's, right, it's right. for our family members to make an undue kerfuffle about the whole thing. There's a through line to a lot of the efforts. I think it's, uh, it's, democratizing things. I think it's recognizing that too many things are withheld from too many people and yeah. that it shouldn't not, all be in Sil- it shouldn't be stuck in Silicon Valley basically. Right. And I mean I think there's an overwhelming theme that in most industries we're just destroying the middle class anyway. Yeah. If you're an author, either you're a best-selling author and you get all the resources or even if you're a small-time author, you're basically called upon to promote your own work. Yeah. And so that's why I think when you talk about this audio content and helping audio content go viral, yeah, given the fact that podcasts have become so popular and yet are so much less prevalent than people think, yeah, you know, you talk to people and it's like, oh, everybody has a podcast. Well, yeah, they do, but no, they don't. And most like 57% quit after 10 episodes. Exactly. There's like people come to a crossroads and they're like, all right, I tried it and right. I didn't get 100,000 listeners. So I guess I'm doing something wrong. Right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting world out there with uh, <laughs> with content. <laughs> <laughs> so you are you're a kid from New Jersey. I am a kid from Jersey. Yes, that is correct. Born and raised in the. Hi, so I grew up in Essex County. So yeah. Oh, so you're from? Jer- oh, yeah. Were you raised in Newark? So yeah, so Newark. I was there for about like ten years, and then we moved fifteen minutes over to Union. Um, but I went to high school in Newark, so still because my mom was a teacher there. So from oh, okay. seventh to twelfth grade, I was in uh, in Newark. So what was that experience like? I mean, obviously, I knew what Newark was like 20, 30 years ago when I was growing up. But what's Newark like now as a place to grow up? Yeah, Newark was quite an experience. Obviously, you know, there is 
more levels of crime and things in that part of the, the city. But I think it's gotten better over the past 10 years. A lot of development has also come into the city. Uh, a lot of bigger players, a lot of bigger names, stuff like that. So when I was in high school, I, I saw the Whole Foods and the Nikes kind of starting up in downtown Newark, which you could say is good. You could also say is bad. There's a lot of things about that. But um, yeah, I went to Science Park High School. It was one of the better schools in Newark. And um, it gave me the foundation to learn a lot about life and the world. And we had a debate program in Science Park High School. And that's where I really learned about everything because debate was like a foundational step in my life to like become a good communicator, which really relates to, to fundraising and, you know, getting angels to invest. So that was the beginning of my story. Especially when there's so much education involved, because when you're out there talking about your idea, you have to explain not only the problem that you see, but the solution and how the solution is going to fix that problem. Exactly. It's not just about the problem. It's about Sometimes educating people that there is a problem that they might not know. And then it's like, all right, well, how are you going to solve it? You know, how are you going to get the job done? Especially since a lot of the terminology is rather arcane. I mean, you've got serial investors who can sniff out a good idea when they see one and so forth. But if you have a larger plan, it's like everything else. When you talk about initial solutions are going to be, uh, they're going to be adopted very early by first adopters. You know, they're going to yes. get it. They're going to buy in. But as you hope to scale, as you hope to expand you've got to expand your reach to a bit more of a retail audience. You mentioned too, you're going to open source this algorithm, right? We already did. I mean, I can send you the white paper. I mean, and open source, the algorithm just means like you're not hiding in a secret basement. And most of the platforms, not most, face, uh, YouTube, they've done it. So the head of their YouTube algorithm, I think his name is Ted Bowie. I'm messing up his last name. He gave like an hour long interview last week at VidSummit, which is the biggest video conference in the world for creators. Um, and he literally said, I'm going to tell you everything I humanly know about the algorithm and you guys do whatever you want with it. And what he said was pretty much what everyone knew. He was like, if you click on it, if you watch it for longer, we recommend it to more people, you know? So I don't think it's any bit of a secret. I think it's a question of how can you refine that algorithm for a new platform that doesn't have the upwards of thousands of hours of video YouTube gets per minute. And how can you let creators know, look, there's a new thing. If you post it in this way, you're more likely to get it recommended. And that's it. Right. So how does the algorithm and how does it get recommended? Is there a wheel that needed to be recreated or how much can you rely on previous algorithmic language to build this new one? Yeah, the, the thing of, so the, the unique for those who are listening, Audia is a search engine for audio and we're trying to create a platform that allows audio to become more discoverable, searchable, recommendable. Now, recommendable is the word that really matters. The existing podcast platforms are using RSS feeds for distribution. And if it's a technical term to say you upload the audio into an RSS feed and then it shoots it out one button published to a trillion different apps, Spotify and Apple are like the biggest ones that matter. To me, that hasn't created a recommendable way for audio content to get discovered because the content isn't centralized in one place that has proprietary data. So when you say, how do you recreate an algorithm? The first part is getting that data, because if you don't have proprietary data, it becomes incredibly difficult to figure out how do we index keywords or descriptions or metadata to then figure out how to fuel some type of recommendation algorithm. So every idea that's posted on the platform, audio stands for audio idea, uh, is exclusive to the platform. Meaning it's not like you can't post it somewhere else, but there's a certain way creators upload to the platform that makes it a home for that content, similar to how you can take a TikTok and post it on YouTube shorts. And I've seen YouTube shorts with eight views and the same content on TikTok has 800,000. And it's like, it's night and day. And that's why I think the age we're living in, that there are all these different networks that allow different forms of content to flourish, even if, if it might be the same exact medium uh, of content. So for us, we use a bunch of variables. We use impressions, we use click-through rate, we use average listen duration. We use the titles, the keywords, the categories that you auto tag it with, the tags. A lot of that stuff will get smarter as we get more data. So right now we're in the scaling phase of how much data can we get? Um, but those are sort of the key variables we use. That's exciting. And speaking of excitement around podcasts, you are listening to the successfully funded podcast brought to you by KiwiTech, 
a growing ecosystem of entrepreneurs, investors, mentors, accelerators, incubators, and corporations. We help early and growth stage startups build viable products, drive traction, raise capital, and scale their businesses. Now, before we get started with more talk about Audia, KiwiTech is not acting as a broker, dealer, or investment advisor and is not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission in any such capacities. At no time does KiwiTech provide investment advice, endorsement, analysis, or recommendations with respect to securities. Information contained herein should be viewed for entertainment purposes only. KiwiTech does not verify or assure that information provided by any issuer offering its securities is accurate or complete, or that the valuation of such securities is appropriate. Investing in securities, particularly in securities issued by startup companies, involves substantial risk, and investors should be able to bear the loss of their entire investment. Those are the greatest hits of their full disclaimer, which you can read on our podcast website, successfullyfundedpodcast.com slash disclaimer. I am your host, Doug French, and as I mentioned, we are here with the CEO of Audia, the search engine for spoken word audio that leverages proprietary data and AI to serve the best content to consumers and get creators discovered. I am here with the CEO, Amit Kukreja, and welcome, Amit. Did I pronounce that right? You got it. You got it, Doug. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited. I'm more excited than you. How about that? Let's start it off with a good old-fashioned pissing match. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I want to. We were talking a bit about uh, about high school in Newark, and um, and you're fresh out of college. Basically, you got out in 2020. So during the second Obama administration, you those that's basically the four years of your high school where you developed as a debater. When and where did you discover your debating skills, and who helped cultivate them in you? So my sister did debate when I was in uh, middle school and she ended up meeting President Obama because she was like uh, ranked second in the country. So she got invited to the White House and, you know, for my parents, immigrants from India, it's like our daughter's meeting the president. Like, what is this? What's going on? Right. All right. So we now understand that you're an entrepreneur because you you have you have some work to do. You're you're... (laughs) Yeah, my, I mean, she, she, my sister inspired me. And then I, me and her used to argue all the time. So my mom was like, why don't you do debate like your sister and try it out? I didn't think I would like it that much. And I, I, and, you know, I got in there and at the risk of sounding arrogant, I felt a bit more natural than other people. You know, I just felt like I have this knack for like wanting to convince someone about my idea, whether it was in seventh grade. And I'm trying to convince this senior who's the volunteer judge that the world is going to end in, in four years and we have to stop climate change. Like whatever the topic was, I was motivated to convince other people. And so I ended up doing debate all in high school by my junior year. I kind of ramped up the gears and I really said, I want to be the best in the country. Uh, and then by, by my senior year, I ended up uh, getting selected on the national USA debate team. So I was one of nine people in the country selected on that team to travel across the world and represent the US in international debate. So those four years really allowed me to feel like I have a voice, which is the purpose of debate as an activity. That's why I am a champion for it. It makes you feel like you you have something meaningful to say. And then it gives you the skills on how to communicate that so that other people care about it. That's how I started. No, I remember that. I had a debate of, uh, in ninth grade. We were European history class and we had a debate in the feudal system between the uh, the lords and the and the serfs. And there's nothing better than just kind of saying something and then just blowing the smoke yeah, and- up. And Doug, the, the, the way I feel about Audia is that it's a very standalone idea in the audio space, primarily because the rest of the audio world uses a certain method of distribution that we are fundamentally against. Uh, and I do feel in the future, as hopefully the name and the brand grows, I'm going to run into a lot of debates with industry people that have business models associated with the current way of doing how, you know, audio distribution. And I'm ready to debate them I'm because they're so objectively wrong. Like they're, <laughs> they don't have an argument. 
And so I wish I can get on the stage to debate them in front of their audiences and just educate people on how idiotic the current landscape of the market is. And if it's if I'm right, then we're going to win and we're going to be big. So as you were growing up, how many people suggested you become a lawyer and how happy are you that you haven't listened to them? A lot of people, man. A lot of people. It's And it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer going through. But like the whole idea for me was like if I'm a, if I was going to be a lawyer, I would want to like help you know, I would want to be a public defender or like do stuff that really matters. But if I'm here arguing for some corporation to like make $5 million more and I get a certain percentage, of it, it's like, what's the fulfillment there? What are you really doing? What are you building? You know, it's just, a, it's a money grab and it, there's nothing wrong with that. But there, the, the lawyer path never saw fulfillment in my vision. And so I wanted purpose. Well, it seems like, yeah, the lawyer path has a particular purpose, but it is very linear. And let's do a little math here because you're two years out of college and you say that Audia has in a, has been two years in the making. So this sounds like something you hatched basically while you were trying to get your diploma amid a uh, global pandemic. So let's talk about the problem you perceived and when you perceived it and how the algorithm you described was developed. So this goes back a little bit to 2009, June 25th, when Michael Jackson died. When he died, my entire life changed. And I decided I want to be the next Michael Jackson. And then when I got to high school, I realized I can't sing. So I'm like, all right, this is not going to happen. <laughs> you got to be a little realistic here. But I found debate, as we talked about. And I saw, and so, so the, the thing that was implanted in my head all throughout college was, I cannot sing, but I can speak. Is there a world in which I could create, a, be a speaking rock star? Like, is, is, is there a thing in which I can still get the essence of what I wanted from that Michael Jackson dream that was a real dream? I mean, I held on to that dream for a good 10 years. And can I do it in a different medium, which is not singing, but speaking? And then fast forward to 2018, I start working on my own speaking album. I'm like, this is going to be my version of Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I, and I get so excited for it. I start planning these talks. I almost think of it as like 10 mini TED Talks in a cohesive album, almost like an audio book to some extent. And by 2020, I graduate. I'm bored at home in the pandemic. I'm like, let me go back to that speaking album. And I'm making the speaking album. I'm working on it. And I'm like, wait a second how do I like get distribution for this? And I didn't even think of Audio. I was just like, oh, Spotify, Apple. Obviously those are the audio apps. That's where people want to listen. Yes, you could put it on YouTube, but I like, I know YouTube's like more videos. Like why would people care about that? So I go to Spotify and Apple and they boxed me into either you're a podcaster or you're a musician. And I'm like, I'm definitely not a musician. And I don't feel like what I've created, the art that I feel I've created is just a pod. It's not 10 podcast episodes. It's much more different than that. That's when the idea was born of like, wait a second, why isn't there like an open audio platform where anyone can just upload anything, just like YouTube, you upload any video and it has the chance to get discovered. And then I go deeper into the podcasting industry and I'm like, wait a second, the top 200 podcasts on, on the podcast charts are all backed by the biggest media companies in the world. Yeah. Like that's not YouTube. YouTube, there's this random guys vlogging that I find out of nowhere. And I'm like, so what's the disconnect? I'm like, oh, YouTube's recommending me random people because they found a business model that allows user-generated content to succeed. And the other audio apps are recommending me or how I built this, which is great, but it's not exactly content that you know a random person can make. It's very studio produced. And I'm like, this is the gap. If we could create a YouTube of audio and get average audio creators discovered, there might be a market opportunity here. And then you just go down the rabbit hole. And I'm like, oh, this is a start startup idea. And then I just started building it. And you've mentioned you've got a couple thousand users posting on Audio now. What has their experience been like? And what have you learned once you've opened up your platform for users to offer you feedback? Yeah, so we launched in April 2021. Platform wasn't that great. A lot of bugs. But I think we had about five, 600 people sign up within the first month or two. And they started posting. And a lot of the, the feedback we got was, we know the platform's dead. We know there's not a lot of traffic. We understand that. But 
every other source of audio distribution we have is so garbage, not because the platforms are bad, but because those platforms aren't even trying to build a recommendation engine for, for underground audio content because they can't make money off of it or their business models aren't susceptible to it. So we know it's going to be a long ride, but we're willing to give it a try. And, and a lot of people kept posting and that's how we seeded the platform with about 10,000 ideas. And you know, when you're building a dual-sided marketplace, the number one thing you got to do at least in the first year is get supply. Because if you drive all this traffic and there's no content for like no <laughs> supply, they're just going to leave. So we did a really good job getting a lot of content, even if that content wasn't listened to, and which the creators ended up knowing wasn't going to happen in order to get to the point where we could raise funding. So the funding could accelerate our marketing efforts. So we could actually build out the demand side and then, you know, hopefully get that network effect where it just explodes eventually. And how much overlap have you had between your investor base and your consumer base? I mean, you're crowdfunding this that a lot of people who use it also invested in it. Yeah. So the way I, I guess our investor round worked is we raised about 200K from angels. Uh, these are like more 25K checks, 15K checks, 10K checks, not $100 uh, investments. And so that uh, 200K came from people who actually like I had to you know, talk to them for an hour and pitch the product and they had to use the product and they had to like, they, they didn't just see a video and decide to invest. So for, for those people, they used the product, they understood it, they, they got a hang of it. Um, they obviously like the product enough for, for them to invest or the concept at least enough for them to invest. And then the extra 80K we've raised in the past two weeks has been from those $100 checks. Those, I don't know how many of those people downloaded or used it. I don't know how many of those people just saw a video and invested, but I would say a decent amount of them checked it out and you know said, hey, I like this idea. It has potential and uh, let's see what happens. And how do you see the level of interest in podcasts expanding over the past couple of years? Because during the pandemic, a lot of us were inside and had the opportunity both to create and to consume yes. this kind of content. So where do you see the trajectory of podcasts happening and how Audia can kind of ride that wave? So a lot of people thought podcasting would die when the pandemic ended because now we're going out and doing stuff. And I, to me, I, I, when I look at the numbers, it's just accelerating because if you're going out and doing stuff and you still want to consume amazing audio content now that you were introduced to it as per like the concept of podcasting in the pandemic, then you're going to keep listening. And because it's audio, it's like it is the metaverse. It allows you to multitask and, and engage with the world in a way that doesn't require visual stimulation. So the AirPod revolution, the fact that the intimacy of voice is there, mic quality is generally going up for everybody. And the fact that it's portable, to me, it means it's just going to keep accelerating. The question becomes, you know, to me, I think of podcasting as like blogging in 2000. You know, like WordPress was created and anyone could start up their own little mini New York Times and the first ones there and the most creative ones got all the search traffic from Google. I think that's the same thing in audio. I don't think there's the genuine sort of platform to allow that type of search engine or type of traffic. And so, you know, if we create that, then we can ride that wave to the top. And we keep talking about the major players, which are basically Spotify and Apple. And you mentioned that Spotify is essentially the Netflix of audio. And I really yes. wanted to make sure we touch on that because yes. that is as backward a compliment as you can give uh, if you even meant it in a complimentary way, given the fact that Netflix has collapsed over the past year, laying off staffers and you know their stock price is down 75% because they're realizing there's only so many streamers you can attract. You know, you're not going to get constant growth in terms of people who use you regularly and there's a finite customer base for that. Uh, and you're also spending a ton on content, which becomes ultimately untenable yes. because you're not seeing the growth uh, that's commensurate with the investment. So when you lump Spotify in with that description, how much of that do you think applies to what Spotify is doing in terms of going all in on podcasts? Um, are, they, are they in for a, an unhappy ending here? 
So it's, it's, it's a really nuanced thing that and I'm happy you brought it up and I want to talk about it. I, I sound kind of crazy as a 24, four year old saying like, Oh, Spotify, like screw them or anything. And that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say here. Every, yeah. But you have to be crazy. You have to be in a, you have to be a, a contrarian to say, wait a minute, this is not working out. I mean, I think that's your whole vibe. So yeah, lean, lean into it, man. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I, I've, I've started to lean into it is because I did about 800 podcast user interviews before we built the app. I mean, I, I like I didn't just say, hey, I have an idea. Let me go. Like, I really tried to study the market and be like, if I build this, will it even matter? And like 800 out of those 800 people said, yeah, we don't like get any traffic on Spotify. And I'm like, you mean people don't li-? They're like, no, people listen on Spotify. I'm like, so that's traffic. They're like, yeah, but we had to drive the traffic. I'm like, oh, talk more to me about this. They're like, well, I like if I post on Spotify or I post on Buzzsprout and it distributes to Spotify, it's stuck there. It's dead. And I'm like, huh? And I'm like, why? It's like, well, I guess it's not popping up on people's feeds. I'm like, why? I'm like, well, I don't know. And so I'm like, and so I started going deeper into this. I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then you realize, and I'm, I'm showing up to the camera here for anyone's watching, but I'm showing Doug. This is Spotify exclusives, right? This is like the premier spot on their home feed. You've got yeah. the Ringer; they pay two hundred fifty million dollars for. You've got Gimlet, one hundred eighty million. Joe Rogan, one hundred million. I mean, you, you get to the point where you realize, oh my goodness, they've spent eight hundred million dollars buying exclusive audio content, which means the only way to get an ROI, which is what shareholders are valuing the company on, is if people listen to that content. The only way people listen to that content is if, bada boom, you recommend it to them in their home feed. Not to mention, this is just podcasting, they're getting $8 billion per year, Spotify only, for marketing and playlist promotion from the record labels. So there's only a finite amount of space on that home feed. And when you've got Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, the biggest artists in the world, from the biggest record labels in the world plummeting the home feed. And then you've got the biggest media companies for podcasts that you've exclusively owned plummeting the home feed. My question in 2020 was like, how does the average Joe get discovered on this platform? Because that's how I think of a platform. I don't think of a platform as a place to host content. Anyone can do that. Like any, you could host your content anywhere. My question is what's the value of me giving you my art and creativity for free on your platform that drives your subscriptions and makes your public shareholders happy if you're not reciprocating even an ounce of discovery because that's why I'm creating you content to build an audience. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 it's, and it wasn't there. And I realized, and I'm like, okay, what if they solve this problem? I'm like, wait, I don't think they can because when you spend a billion on audio, you got to get an ROI on that. Jimmy from Minnesota is not getting his podcast monetized. So you're not going to recommend Jimmy from Minnesota. So your entire algorithm is, is not suited really to just get a random person discovered. And the case in point, this is how I knew I was correct on this. I went from zero to 10,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel from November, 2021 to February, 2022. And I'm like, wait a second. Yes, I make good content. Yes, I'm consistent. Yes, my thumbnails and titles, but like 10,000 people know about me for free, not a single dollar in paid advertising. Oh, YouTube had an algorithm and it showed my videos to a lot of people. And I'm like, if I had done all my videos in audio format, which is basically what they are, I'm just talking in front of the camera, the audio is all that matters. And I put it on Spotify. I'm like, would I have 10,000 people in the world that care about me? Would I have been able to raise $80,000 from those 10,000 people in a crowdfund six months ago? I don't think that would have happened. So that algorithm for audio didn't seem to exist. And I was like, all right, if we create it, then you know maybe we can actually challenge the big dog here. And your YouTube channel is mostly about analyzing stock reports. Yes. Basically, it has a very CNBC, CNBC type of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we both came up at the same time. So uh, excellent. We're both geniuses. Where does that catalog of information come to? Were you always a fan of, uh, of financial reports and kind of keeping track of how the big dogs are performing so you could one day be one of them? 
So this is a really good segue to talk about like how this whole startup thing also got funded. I still was making content in 2021 and I was speaking to uh, zero people. So like you're putting out all this content and zero people are consuming and it is, it's tough, man. And this is why I sympathize. So this is why whether I fail or succeed, I know that I'm doing the most noble thing I can do. Cause I, like when you create art and no one sees it mainly cause it's a technology thing, not even cause it's a you thing. It sucks. And if you build a solution to that, it can become a very valuable solution. So in 2021, speaking to the ether, content wasn't going anywhere. I realized I was talking about my startup. No one cares about your startup. You're just a kid. So November, I decided, what if I start making a YouTube channel around stuff people care about, like stocks? Now, the reason I was able to do this is because I was a stock market junkie, like at least for the past three, four years since college. In 2018, 2019, I was investing using Robinhood. It wasn't the most successful at it, but I really enjoyed financial reports, all that stuff. So I threw up a couple of videos. They started getting some views. And I was like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to make one of the best stock market channels on YouTube. And eventually I think I'll bring up my startup and maybe people will care. That was my like thesis. And so I go all in four videos a day, really try to break down complex themes of technology at, at the intersection of finance, all that stuff. And it picks up into the algorithm. And then by February, I start telling my subscribers, Hey guys, I have a startup and, um, you know, we're launching a crowdfund. And, and if anyone's interested, email me, and I got like 30 emails in a day. And I'm like, wait, Oh yeah, all of these people watching are investors. So like, of course they have, maybe have a portion of their portfolio they would be willing to allocate to something more riskier because you know these, these people care about investing. And uh, within two days of saying that, a guy sends me a check for 25K and I'm like, oh shoot, this is the opportunity. We might actually be able to raise our crowdfund right now. That was your first real capital investment of 25 grand from just a listener? So it was came from a subscriber. He's a chief technology officer at, at a really big mortgages company in uh, officer at a company in Pennsylvania. And uh, obviously, for him to make a decision in 30 minutes off the pitch deck that I sent him, he has the money to be able to lose. Right, 25k is like some pennies to him. But when I asked him, "Hey, man, you made the decision really quickly. Like, what's going on?" He was like, "I've seen your work ethic the past four months." And it's like this is the thing about putting out content: you never know who's watching. And he's like, "I saw you go from zero people to 10,000. Command the platform in your niche and like." just go do something with your life. And he's like, so I'm betting on the idea. Nine times out of 10, these ideas fail, but I think you're the one out of 10 because I'm betting on you. Um, so once we got that first 25K in the bank, I was like, okay, I think we can actually do this. And that started the, the snowball effect of like really going hard and pitching. And we pitched over a hundred people since then and you know, ended up working out and raising money. Yeah, that's a key point about this podcast where I really love talking to people who are starting up stuff like this because- when you have revenue projections, initial investors are going to invest as much in them as they are the person who's tasked to make them a reality. And when you come across as erudite and with a comprehensive understanding of the industry you're trafficking in, that breeds a lot of confidence. And so when you talk about revenue plans, clearly because you have raised 200 grand so far, and there are people who are all set to ride the wave, are you looking at now, you say that the audio advertising is about a $100 billion market. And that, that's also in Spotify's words. That's not just me. So it's the big guys have legitimized that claim. It's a, there's a lot of statistics out there. It's a hundred billion dollar audio advertising market globally. 99% of it goes to what? What do you think, Doug? Where does it go currently? To uh, executives who don't do much for a living. <laughs> kind, you're kind of right. It goes to the radio. Right? Yeah. And so when I say that, most people, they, like, they're like, what do you mean the radio? The radio is still around? It's like, yeah, the radio is still relevant. Like people on their cars, apparently they listen to the radio. So I believe in the next 10 years, it's not crazy to say people will not listen to the radio as much as they listen to podcasts or they listen to these types of apps that have audio on them. And so the question becomes, which app has the best data that can use search-based targeting that doesn't exist in the radio? I mean, there's some targeting in radio. Like if you're in New York, you'll get an ad for some, but like the hyper-specificity of targeting that exists on like Facebook or Instagram 
uh, it doesn't exist in audio. And so if you build the centralized engine that has all that data and you're able to share revenue with creators, which is what YouTube has done, you become a machine because then the creators don't stop posting because they build businesses on your platform. You generate all the demand side from the advertisers and you can take a piece of that $100 billion market if the ears are shifting from the radio to your platform. And so that's the overall goal. That's the trajectory, which means we need to grow users massively in order to be able to get to that level. And um, that's kind of where we're at right now. So when you talk about the radio, does that include Sirius XM? Yeah. So Sirius XM did about, so, so the, here's an interesting thing, right? Sirius XM did $9.6 billion of revenue in 2021. Spotify did 10.3. And this is when I was like, oh, this is, this points to a little problem. Why is a media company? Cause that's all Sirius is at. There's a media company. They sell ads. That's it. Why is a media company doing the same amount of revenue as a tech company? Like that shouldn't be the case. And I realized, oh, the reason Spotify can't make a profit is because every cent of the streams from songs go back to the record labels, which yeah. is why they got into podcasting in the first place. They realized how crappy of a business music is because you don't own any of the IP. So they're like, let's own the IP by buying the audio. And in my opinion, that kind of messed up the plan because a Netflix business is also a crappy business because you have to keep spending money to, to acquire content. So Sirius XM does a lot of money in media spend and they will continue to do that. My question is, could you have multiple new Howard Stearns on a platform get discovered and command the attention from the masses to come back to that platform to listen to those Howard Stearns, i.e. what YouTube has done with video creators over Hollywood. And if we could do that, then I just I see the exponential potential there. And it sounds like there's also greater tolerance for seeing ads on a platform you subscribe to. Yes, that's free, right? Like, so SiriusXM, you can pay for without the ads or whatever, SiriusXM Plus. But uh, yeah, I mean, people are, look, I was talking to a VC a couple months ago and he was like, look, I mean, there's two ways you make money. People pay you per month because they really find value in your service or you take 10, 15 seconds of their time and you show them a commercial or you get them to listen to something because they're getting the content for free. And it's like, that's it. At the end, no matter how much we hate advertising, that is a business model that is real and it gets creators a lot of money just for free. They don't have to convince people to subscribe to them. So I think that's the market to go after. So how do the uh, revenue projections that you've broken down, how do they break down between subscriptions and advertising as far as where the biggest uh, opportunities are? The, the biggest opportunities are, so let's take a YouTube, for example. YouTube made uh, $30 billion last year. Uh, they have 2.1 billion monthly active users and only 50 million have subscribed to YouTube Premium, which is the $12 a month to get rid of ads. Yeah. So you're talking about a fraction of 2 billion people that probably use YouTube a lot. I mean, we all use YouTube that decided $12 a month of their you know, money is worth. Now I bought YouTube premium because I'm a big YouTube user, but a lot of people around the world, it, like, they're just not willing to pay $12 a month for YouTube. So I think ads in general, if it creates such a less friction for people to actually post and engage with a platform, which is why Zuckerberg uh, has always been against subscription because he knows most of Facebook is used by people around the world that don't have five bucks a month, like people in the United States might have to get rid of ads. And so, and so I think, you know, our deal right now is an advertising business. We haven't launched ads yet. That's hopefully in the next 18, 24 months when we grow more users. Eventually there could be a subscription tier to it, but I think ads are going to majority of the revenue. What do you think the tolerance for advertising is in general? Because I know I've noticed this. I've been kind of gobsmacked by how popular Smartless has become. And I remember when they first started out and it was a lark and there was just three dudes getting together talking about stuff. And their advertising is so huge now. They went from nothing to now you have two sessions of at least five minutes of ads. And at least they're having the power, same with people like Conan O'Brien, they can kind of Do that meld right. the advertising to their own voice, which I think is the best way to integrate advertising into a podcast. What's the ceiling for how much advertising we can shoehorn into a podcast without becoming uh, too onerous? 
Yeah, I, th I think at some level, like the current model of ads on podcasts is you're a great podcaster, a company tells you to read an ad and then you read the ad in the middle of it. And that works. The problem is that's not scalable. Like that, for from a technology perspective, you can't automate that across billions of pieces of content. So the way it would work is like, uh, let's say Coca-Cola or Dunkin' Donuts want, has a promotion coming up. They would have their person read the ad, the Dunkin' Donuts automated way. And I don't think it would be a two minute ad read like most podcasters do. It would be like a 15 second sort of audio ad before the audio starts, for example. And to me, that's tolerable because like, all right, I can listen to 15 seconds. I can listen to 10 seconds. Maybe it's in the middle of an hour long thing. I can listen to 10 seconds, three times or something, which is what happens on the radio. Like on the radio, they give you a nice five minutes of these little 10, 15 segment segments to me all that ad money now is going to like iheart what if it was going to like a million different people that also get people to listen for those 10 seconds so i think the tolerance is there especially the like something popped in my feed the other day on youtube it was drake versus michael jackson huge michael jackson fan huge drake fan i'm clicking on that video i don't care if it's a penguin from alaska talking about the topic i'm listening to that topic because i care so if i have to wait 10 seconds you know for an ad to finish for me to listen then i'm going to do it um, so if the content's good, people will stay. And the question is just how scalable can that be? And that's an interesting point too. When you mention you're working to try and make the wallets of some of these big hitters a little lighter. So what kind of headwinds do you anticipate as you try to rail against the big guys? I mean, you're, again, this overused phrase that I use, you know, a sapling among the sequoias. How do you anticipate being able to grab your own sunlight in this scenario? I think they're going to see us as an asset because like what iHeart and, and all the big media companies don't have is distribution. Now, what, what I mean by this is obviously they have their own fan bases. They have their own, their own, they, they're a media company. So they have distribution, but there is a reason they post on Instagram is because there's new people that would find out iHeart has exclusive podcasts and go listen to it somewhere on iHeart's website. So to me, they see like, I don't think movie companies are afraid of YouTube. They see YouTube as like a place to post your movie trailer. And if it gets 5 million views, you might sell another 5 million tickets at the box office on opening weekend. So when a platform hits scale, especially a tech platform, uh, yes, it takes some market share away from the incumbents, but those incumbents really use that platform to reach new audiences. And I think they would see us as an asset because no one... like. Spotify cannot guarantee iHeartMedia when they post a podcast is going to find all these new people. I think YouTube can guarantee that based on keyword search algorithms. And if Audia could guarantee that, then iHeart will be happy to work on us. Well, and that also speaks to whatever exit strategy you might have. I mean, if anyone like that wanted to acquire you, you'd have a decision to make because clearly you have to be clear to understand whether they were acquiring you as an asset or as something to turn into themselves. Yeah. I do like to talk about headwinds. I think it does give investors a full picture of, of what they're in for. I was thinking along the lines of I, the idea of audio content going viral is is excellent. You know, I love that thought. I'm a podcaster. I would like to be podcasting until I'm no longer a sentient human being. But uh, when you look at things that go viral, tweets are tight bits of information. An image is a tight bit of information. A podcast like this one will be about 45 minutes to an hour long. How do you make something that large go viral? I mean, do you plan to market snippets of it? Or how can something that big that requires that much energy and attention and commitment to consume, how can that go viral in the same way a tweet or an image can? It, so it doesn't go viral. And that, that's an excellent question. The, the 40, so like if, if, if no one's ever heard of successfully funded and they come across a 45 minute episode, one, it's going to be hard for them to get to listen to it unless they really care about fundraising. And, and two, it's just so much of a commitment. You're asking them for 45 minutes of their attention. They don't even know you, right? So it's a difficult thing to get them to care. So to me, what I realized is that's how RSS feeds are tackling distribution. Like almost everyone just uploads the whole thing 
uh, into the RSS feed. There's no metadata. There's no unique targeting or search or titles or keywords. It's just your logo as the thumbnail, which is not a clickable logo. It's a boring, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a logo. Um, and then you hope that people who know about the podcast will come to the platform, whichever one they use, and then click on the new episode. Now, the reason that it will happen is because that's how podcasts have been distributed. Uh, consumers have been trained to think, oh, these are the podcasts I listen to. So I don't need to care about the thumbnail. I don't need to care about the title. I just, I know there's a new episode. So I'm going to listen to a new episode. YouTube is different. The, the Twitter, Instagram, they're different. Like it's these visual apps where anything can pop up. And because anything can pop up, the thumbnail, the cover art matters. It's why album covers like really matter. The title matters. Instead of saying interview with John Smith, uh, CEO of blah, blah, blah. You say this, uh, and that's an hour long interview. You take the first 10 minutes and say, this CEO almost went bankrupt, but then he made $10 million. That's a much more clickable title, uh, probably a click more thumbnail. 10 minutes is a lot smaller of an ask of length of time you're asking from the consumer. So I think the answer is you take long form content, you split it up into the best ideas. You give them each a thumbnail title, description tags, all that stuff. And then you put them into an engine like Audia that can then take all of them, index them, and then recommend them to the world, uh, which is what happens on YouTube. That does not happen on the other audio platforms. And I think if we do that, then audio content can go viral because an Audia can go viral, but a long form podcast, it's harder. Well, and that's also just another addition to the great advice you've given podcasters in general. I mean, as someone who traffics in podcasts as frequently as you do and, and knows how the business works and knows how to democratize this Leviathan, you mentioned treat your podcast like you would uh, you're dropping an album. You know, if you have the cover, if you have proper SEO, you have to be as talented in the creation of the content as you are in the distribution and marketing of the content. So when you talk about podcasters, either who have come to that crossroads, right, who've, who've done, you know, six months and are thinking, all right, either I'm all in or I'm out, or you're just getting started from scratch about podcasting, what other bits of advice from a, a seasoned 24-year-old like yourself would you offer them? Well, so there's there's a, a couple of nuances here. When you said you have to be creative at the at the market, the content and the distribution strategy, like the packaging of the content, I 1000% agree with that. However, for podcasts, it's nuanced because those people like Drake versus Michael Jackson in audio format has never gone viral on an audio platform. So I think in the beginning stages of Audia, someone who just puts up a crappy thumbnail and puts the title Drake versus Michael Jackson, that could go viral because like there's so much like trash content on TikTok and Twitter that goes viral because it just happened. <laughs> it just happened oh to pop God. up in the feed, right? You're talking my heart out here. Absolutely. Good Lord. It doesn't take much, does it? It doesn't take much. So I think on Audia, at least in the early couple of years, we could have random audio pieces of content go viral and it doesn't have to be packaged the most beautiful way because sometimes if it just shows up in your feed, you will click on it. And there hasn't been that algorithmic feed for audio that has existed in the past ever, right? 20, 30 years. So that, that's the first thing. I, I think Audia could open up a, a generation of kids to go viral, even if they're not you know, super great at marketing and distribution. But the second thing is uh, when it comes to like the nuance of this, I think you've got to respect the consumer when you're thinking about content. And I, I failed at respecting the consumer for a good five years when I was making content because like the number one piece of advice I've gotten on content is if I put this into the world, why would someone click on it? Why would someone consume it? What is the value to someone caring about it? And until you map that out in a meaningful way, it's going to be hard for any content to gain momentum. When we talk about training, we talk about your skills as a communicator and we talk about what you want to use the first round of funding to do as you expand Audio's reach and expand Audio's functionality. Have you given any thought to involving some sort of training? It doesn't have to be even a, a pay for course, you know? I mean, it's in your best interest to offer your expertise to people who are just starting out. 
and recognize that, you know, when you want to distribute with us, I can also teach you some skills on how to create a good podcast and how to market it. So do you plan to use your skills as a communicator to help speed that plow as well? Yeah. I mean, so anyone who I've onboarded onto the platform, if they've ever had a question or understanding it better, I've hopped on like a lot of Zoom calls with them, just helping them better explain it. But I think on the platform itself, I've created a lot of content on the actual official Audia channel on the on the platform, just telling people why thumbnails matter. Why? Because these this is these are archaic things to podcasters because they don't think about it, because the industry they're not trained to do, to care about this stuff. So why does a description matter? Why does it matter to leave comments on other people's stuff? Because in podcasting there are no comments, but like on YouTube, if you leave a comment, someone could find your channel just by you commenting. Like that's the discovery process. So. I've made a lot of content on the platform itself that we try to promote and get people to listen to. And yeah, it's just the more people learn about this stuff, the better they'll create for the platform, the better we can reward them with discovery. Well, I'll tell you, as someone who grew up blogging, you know, I began as a dad blogger back in 2003 and comments were ubiquitous and useful and lovely. You know, this is before spam bots and everything else. Yes. And it's true. I think engagement is a very strong skill and a very strong gateway to discovery but to what extent do we have the patience or even the energy to be active, engaged commenters in other people's podcasts? And to what extent will that factor into the dissemination of these things in terms of building up your engagement and your popularity? Well, I think I think it comes down to the content. Like it, uh, that Drake versus Michael Jackson example, I will comment on that because I care about that content. So when you've watched the video you really enjoyed, most people want to leave some some feedback. Uh, same thing on an, uh, a post on Twitter and, and I think definitely on a podcast, but we just haven't been able to create that universal system for commenting. So I think if people enjoy the content, they will comment, they will engage. And if they don't, then you just have to keep giving them more content that allows them to want to engage because it has to be something organic, not manufactured. And if you could do that at scale, millions of people doing it or thousands of people doing it, then you have a platform that's thriving and you know not dead. So speaking of people who enjoy your content, you're all over the web. Why don't you tell people uh, the best places to find you, your YouTube channel, your WeFunder site, and where else people can learn more about what Audia does and what it's going to do in the next 18 to 24 months. Yeah. So if anyone wants to learn more about the platform, it's wefunder.com slash A-U-D-E-A. There's a pitch video up there for about 10. You know, I took a risk. Most people, they said, don't put like one or two minutes. I said, no, I'm putting 10 minutes out there. And I know people are going to watch because like I can hook them in the first 30 seconds. And you had a white yeah. background and a white shirt, you know, and yep. you put a tie on and you dressed up proper. But definitely, yeah, people focused on you, the speaker, because there was nothing else to focus <laughs> on. Well, there was no. a little bit of graphics. I had my videographer. Oh yeah, you had your graphics on. What I'm saying, yeah, it's just, you definitely... Use your own expressive face as a focal point for damn sure. Yeah. And some of the comments I got from that was like, we're happy. Like, you know, one guy was like, I usually don't watch these, but like, for some reason I watched the whole eight minutes of it. It was like, yeah, because like, I got to get you to like, understand this from, from the guy himself. So well, you're uh, a charismatic speaker though, and your passion comes through. And I think that's an important thing. People are going to, if they start that video, they're going to finish it. Yeah. That would and, be cool. and that's an asset. And if not everybody can do that, I mean, the people I've interviewed, some of them have trouble just putting a complete sentence together. And that's not a, a knock on them. It's just they have a great galaxy brain for what they're doing. But the marketing aspect is still a challenge. So yeah, if you've got that skill, by all means, show it off. Yeah. I agree. And just got to kind of double down on that asset, which is what I've been trying to do the past uh, couple of years. Um, so WeFunder and then Twitter at Amit is investing. That's probably the best place to get, get me. A-M-I-T is investing. And that's that's pretty much it. There's a great pinned tweet there um, where he talks about Audia when he announced it, uh, I guess, only a couple of weeks ago. July 27th. Yep. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's a great thread to kind of explain that in writing. If people want to be a part of your platform, uh, how do they do that? 
So we're on the app store and Google Audia, A-U-D-E-A dot I-O. And if you do Audia dot I-O slash register, it'll take you immediately to the page. You can use the platform without signing up. You get access to all the content and all that stuff. So yeah, I would, I would advise people to just check it out. See if that's a way you would want to consume audio content, if it helps you find and discover new audio content. And if it does, you know, maybe post some content and potentially go viral on that platform because it's a new thing. And I think that the sky's the limit here. Well, I could talk for another several hours about this. I really enjoy having spirited conversations about this kind of thing, especially when you see a very specific gap, you see how other industries have solved it and you see an opportunity to bring a similar solution here and get a lot more voices, the ears that they deserve. Because as we've said, if a podcast goes out into the forest and there's no ears to hear it, does it, does it ex- even exist? It doesn't even exist. I admit it's been great talking to you about this. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Successfully Funded Podcast. I have been your host, Doug French. That is the CEO of Audia, Amit Kukreja. It's been a great discussion about this, and I hope a lot more talented voices are going to find the audiences they need. So really, thanks for talking today. Thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks again. We'll see you next week with another uh, entrepreneur who is bridging the gap between what is and what should be. And I'm grateful to all of them. Anyway, until then, see you next week.